touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So I'll admit it. I'll be honest. Uh, I have a little shame, but I have, I have no shame admitting I, I love Taco Bell, right? It is one of my many guilty pleasures. We've talked about it before. I love ice cream. I love Taco Bell. I love a lot of unhealthy foods, okay? And and with fast food, we kind of know that it's unhealthy, right? We know that it's not great for you, but we've never had to go to a, a Taco Bell factory and see them make the tortillas. We've never stood in the kitchen and watched them make the food, right? So we still kind of eat it. Like, I still eat it. I know it's bad for me, but I I don't really know the details. I don't care to know the details. Well, we've known that Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers have had a horrible relationship. We know that Ted Thompson was declining and he wasn't doing a great job, but we never really had examples. We never really had stories or personal accounts of what we already knew. We know Aaron Rodgers might be a spotty leader. We know Mike McCarthy maybe got complacent, but we never had examples. Right, we never had somebody come out and tell a story. Well, today we got that. Today we actually had some examples. I'm sure a lot of you heard. David Scrady uh, probably touched on it this morning. I know Bill Michaels uh, certainly touched on it this afternoon. Bleach Report, specifically Tyler Dunn, dropping a bombshell of an article this morning. A really, really long, uh, comprehensive article about all of the big personalities uh, and all of the factors playing into the downfall of the Green Bay Packers the last couple of years. Let's get into it. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports. You're listening to WK2. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. And the subject is rather grim today. We are staring uh, the failure and the problems of the Green Bay Packers right in the eye. Right? Like I said, I love Taco Bell. I know it's bad for me. I don't care because I don't have to stand in the kitchen and watch them make it. Right? I don't have to go to a Taco Bell factory and, and look at the ingredients and, and actually see it. Much like with the Packers, right? We know that there was bad juice between McCarthy and Rodgers. We knew that Ted Thompson was not doing a killer job on his way out the door, but we never had to confront it. We never had to hear a story about something that Aaron Rodgers did or or hear a, a firsthand account of what McCarthy was doing in his final year. This article gave us examples and then some. All right, let, let, let's start way at the beginning. Well, one of the most fascinating things about this article was, and we knew this right off the bat, Right away at the beginning of the article, it took me about a half hour, to, or not a half hour, but probably about 20 minutes to read this thing. It's, it's a long piece, and I, and I read it a couple times, took some notes, uh, and boiled it down because I knew we'd want to be talking about it today. Possibly the most interesting fact from this whole article was, according to uh, Ryan Grant, who's not some no-name Packer, right? He was on this team for a while and was in a huge role. He's their leading rusher for a couple of seasons, uh, rode them, or, or the Packers rode him, uh, towards an NFC Championship game in the last couple of years of Brett Favre. Ryan Grant's not some no-namer. He's not some unnamed sources. According to Ryan Grant, and this is what got the whole article kicked off, Aaron Rodgers always hated Mike McCarthy. From the moment that Mike McCarthy was hired, Aaron Rodgers hated him. Because, if you'll remember, when Aaron Rodgers was drafted by the Green Bay Packers, Mike McCarthy was in San Francisco. San Francisco had the number one overall pick. Who did they take? They took Alex uh, Alex. Uh, I almost said Alex Wilson. I'm talking Brewers. They took Alex Smith, right? And the sentiment was from McCarthy and from San Francisco that Alex Smith was a much better quarterback. And apparently Aaron Rodgers never let that go. I don't know exactly uh, how upset Aaron Rodgers is over that. It seems like a a small detail, but that got the ball starting, right? Imagine coming into a workplace 
or, or either you are hired or somebody else is hired to be your coworker. And five years ago, you had a horrible experience with them. Five years ago, uh, maybe this coworker had a chance to hire you or vice versa, and you didn't do it. Well, yeah, it might be a little bit awkward. It might be a little weird. There might be some resentment. So that's what this whole thing started off as. And then the rest of this article, which is pages and pages of firsthand accounts from former Packer players, front office members, just roasting and just spilling the beans on Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. I want to start with Mike McCarthy because to be completely real, I I thought this article was a much worse look for Mike McCarthy than it was for Aaron Rodgers. Because Mike McCarthy's record hasn't been stellar the last couple of years, which is ultimately why he was fired by the Packers, right? But we really didn't know what Mike McCarthy's personality was like. We really didn't know what he was doing. We just knew that the Packers weren't winning. Couple of thoughts right away. According to an unnamed source, Rodgers and other members of the Packers offense considered Mike McCarthy a buffoon with a low football IQ. Always bothered Rodgers and others. Said he never respected Mike McCarthy because he always thought he was smarter than Mike. That's another unnamed source. And then Dewan Harris, who you remember, if uh, he was running back for the Packers for a while, I believe they signed him at the time when he was like selling cars. Just a street free agent who had a stint with the Packers said, and, and that festered year after year after year. And, and you get to the point, you know, when you hate someone, when you don't like someone, just everything about them just makes you mad. The way they chew their food, the way they walk, the way they button up their shirts or, or the way they drive, just everything. You start to notice everything. And then it festered and got worse and worse and worse. There's a lot of interesting factoids and interesting quotations in this article. And I want to try to touch on a little bit of everything. I think this article goes after Mike McCarthy. One former teammate of Aaron Rodgers thinks they should have won a minimum of six Super Bowls. A minimum of six. Now, I think the Packers have underachieved. That seems a little extreme. Said that the 2011 team should be remembered like the 72 Dolphins. Kind of going in on Mike McCarthy. Kind of going in on Aaron Rodgers. I think more so on Mike McCarthy. This was possibly the most interesting nugget uh, regarding Mike McCarthy. Packers obviously uh, were in the news the last couple of months about Aaron Rodgers overturning the play calls. Overruling Mike McCarthy, calling something else. He said that in the last couple of years, and remember Aaron Rodgers has a 103 career quarterback rating. So we can back it up, and this unnamed source makes mention of that. Said that the Packers uh, would have gotten much worse if Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have put that cape on. Talking about how uh, if he didn't over override Mike McCarthy and didn't improvise. The personnel man, who's the, the source from the, the Packers front office, says the Packers passing offense was essentially get open, and they basically ran the same routes for seven years straight. To the point where division rivals constantly called out plays pre-snap and jumped routes. Going in on Mike McCarthy, right? Saying, if Aaron Rodgers didn't take over and didn't improvise and didn't run over Mike McCarthy, oh my God, it would would have been way worse. Way sooner. Going in on Mike McCarthy, like I said, this was the weirdest factoid of the whole article. We're talking about Mike McCarthy and in the Bleacher Report uh, expose that came out this morning. Tyler Dunn wrote it. Not just about Mike McCarthy, but about Aaron Rodgers and then Ted Thompson a little bit as well. And we'll get to those those two characters as well. But let's, let's start with Mike McCarthy. I thought it was the worst look for Mac. Mike McCarthy missed pregame meetings to get massages, apparently. Obviously, players are going to react poorly to that. Imagine, it's Saturday. You have a game tomorrow. There's only 16 games in the NFL regular season. It's not like 162 in baseball. It's not like 82 
uh, in in uh, in the NBA. Sixteen of them. Everyone counts. Can't be complacent. Can't be lazy. And when you're having those pregame meetings, if your head coach is, is getting a massage in his office, uh huh. It's a bad look. And, and employees, in this case players and, and other coaches, they notice those things. This was really interesting too. One unnamed source thought that Mike McCarthy felt he was the one who created this monster of an offense. The source added that was McCarthy's big stake, a uh, big mistake. He wanted to be the guy. He wanted to be the reason, and he just wasn't that good. Continuing to talk, of course, and we've talked about this, how McCarthy let Alex Van Pelt go. One of the bright spots of the last couple of years who really challenged Aaron Rodgers. They seemed to get along. They liked playing together, playing and coaching together. And then McCarthy lets him go. Doesn't renew his contract. A lot of people speculating up until now, and we know it is a fact according to these sources at least, that McCarthy was threatened by Alex Van Pelt. He was scared. He was worried that there was another bright offensive mind on his staff to work with Aaron Rodgers. And, and not only take some of the credit and help make the team better, but but take the spotlight a little bit off of Mike McCarthy, who considered himself a quarterback guru, considered himself an offensive mastermind, right? All of these sources going in on Mike McCarthy. Going in on Mike McCarthy really strong. And I, I look, we know a lot of things about Aaron Rodgers. He's not the best leader, okay? We've, we've known. We, we, yeah, Mike McCarthy has been, uh, has been accused of getting complacent in his last couple of years. We knew that as well. Now we have some examples. Now we actually have something to talk about in specifics. This article is a bad look for Mike McCarthy, and it was a bad look for Aaron Rodgers, too. We'll talk about that coming up in a couple of minutes. I I think this article really told us things about Mike McCarthy that we didn't know. I don't know if I learned anything new about Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to say it's a good or a bad look. I think it's a bad look for Aaron Rodgers, but it was a really bad look for Mike McCarthy. Just some of the things, like I said. He wanted the credit. He believed that he created this monster of an offense. Got complacent near the end, like getting massages in his office while the rest of his staff and players were in meetings preparing for the the game coming up the next day. Offense got stale. It was the same routes every week for, for five or six years to the point where division rivals like the Bears, like the Vikings, like the Lions, who all have done pretty well against the Packers in the last couple of years, they recognize things. They say, this is what's going on, calling it out at the line of scrimmage and before the snap. Sources saying the Packers should have won six Super Bowls. That's how good Aaron Rodgers and the offense was that Super Bowl year, and of course in 2011. One source even saying that 2011 team should be remembered like the 72 Dolphins. While they were upset by the Giants in round two of the playoffs after a first round bye. It's a bad look for McCarthy. A lot of sources going in, and we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers coming up as well. I want to hear from you. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can join me there. We're talking a lot of Packers today because we're trying to unpack and we're trying to swallow what the hell happened in Green Bay? And actually, that's the title of the article. What happened in Green Bay? Trying to figure it out, and we're using Tyler Dunn's Bleacher Report article as a vessel to have this conversation today. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers. What did they say about number 12? All of these sources. Of course, we know Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley and Dewan Harris and Ryan Grant. A lot of unnamed sources, too. And as you can expect, some of the most incendiary things coming from the sources that were anonymous. We'll talk about that. Continue the Packers conversation. Coming up next, this is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. Don't go anywhere. Back in a minute here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports right here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. We're trying to unpack. We're trying to, to take a bite out of this huge bleacher report expose, is that an appropriate word, about what went wrong in Green Bay, not only last season and the year before, but going all the way back to 2008. 
basically the entire Mike McCarthy tenure, where was the disconnect? Where did the splinter start between Mike McCarthy and his quarterback, Aaron Rodgers? This article was a terrible look for Mike McCarthy. I'm not saying it's a great look for anybody involved in the Packers organization. I thought Mike McCarthy got the brunt of it, uh, especially coming a day after Mike McCarthy taking a shot at at, uh, at the Packers a little bit, saying they hired, they really botched his firing. They could not have handled it worse, right? Well, now we're hearing some things that doesn't exactly paint Mike McCarthy in a great light either from players, especially Aaron Rodgers, thinking him uh, as a low IQ buffoon, not respecting him, right? That, that the Packers massively underachieved. And Mike McCarthy pissed off his players by getting a massage during a pregame meeting. And, and he thought he was the reason. And he uh, had the ego. And he was the quarterback guru and created this offense. And he was the reason they were good. And, and Alex Van Pelt didn't have a place here because it was Mike McCarthy's team. And everything starts and ends with him. That was the look that we got of Mike McCarthy. And it wasn't a great look. And trust me, it was a lot of anonymous sources. And there were some some named sources. And there, of course, Greg Jennings has got to throw his hat in the ring. And, and we from Jermichael Finley and Dewan Harris. Most of the sources are coming from inside the Packers organization or, or former employees of the Packers, and it really painted Mike McCarthy in a bad light. Well, what about Aaron Rodgers? I want to continue this conversation, continue to unpack this. You want to have a conversation with me, 608-796-255. It is the place to get it done. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can also find me on Twitter, at Keystroker Grant. You can find the station at WKTY. This is the interesting thing. One of the named sources in this article was Ryan Grant, who I've actually always really been impressed when he speaks uh, in the media or, or he puts out a, a, a tweet or gives his, his two cents on, on whatever's going on. I always think it's very well spoken. It's very well thought out. I can't say the same for Greg Jennings. I know he's really popular on, on obviously was on ESPN and, and now on Fox because he's the Packer guy. He's the guy who comes on and has the inside scoop on Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre and everything in Green Bay. He's not particularly well spoken. I don't think his arguments or his points are ever that well-constructed or well-delivered, but he's the guy we go to. Ryan Grant, I actually think, does a really good job. He spoke about, and was quoted in this article, about Aaron Rodgers having a big ego and always wanting to one-up Mike McCarthy, always feeling the need to tweak things at the line of scrimmage or override Mike McCarthy's plays, give instructions to players that contradict what Mike McCarthy is saying from the sideline. This is what he said, and I think this is a brilliant comparison. And this is a direct quote. Think of mankind's never-ending debate over artificial intelligence. When you put a quarterback in a position and you talk about how cerebral he is and you give him flexibility to make changes, guess what? You develop AI because it has the capacity to run without you. And then when it runs without you, it's like, wait a minute. But in the same breath, if you're not actually able to stay ahead of it, it's going to outthink you. And it's going to say me making the decision is the best decision. Really, Mike McCarthy created a form of artificial intelligence with Aaron Rodgers. That's what happened. It's a brilliant comparison. Mike McCarthy gave Aaron Rodgers the freedom to do what he wants at the line of scrimmage. Combine that with Mike McCarthy's stale playbook. Very repetitive schemes to the point where division uh, opposition is calling out plays at the line of scrimmage because they've seen it so many times over the last couple of years. Aaron Rodgers is saying, wait a minute, everybody says I'm the smartest player in the league. Everybody believes that, that I notice everything at the line of scrimmage, from getting 12 men on the field to, to getting free plays off, a, off a, um, an offsides penalty. I can adjust uh, uh, protection packages around me and shift the line. I, I can audible from a run to a pass and vice versa. I should be doing this. That's the best way 
for the Packers to operate. The, the, the Packers offense should be run through me. I should be making these calls. And now Mike McCarthy's standing there and saying, oh my God, what did I do? And we, we always talk about with artificial intelligence, right? Once you open that can of worms, you, you can't put it back in, right? You can't put that genie back in the bottle. Take whatever analogy you, you, you like. They all work. Once you've created the monster of artificial intelligence, it's almost out of your control. And I think Ryan Grant's comparison to artificial intelligence, to Aaron Rodgers, and uh, in his freedom at the line of scrimmage, I think it's a really good comparison. This is a really good example. That That's a broad idea. That's a concept. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Specifically talking about a play in the Patriots game this year. And this was a source. This came from a source uh, near Equinemia St. Brown. I don't know if it's his agent. I I would assume it's his agent or somebody representing him because it paints Equinemia St. Brown as a victim in in a good light here. So, And I'm going to read this to you verbatim. It's not super long. Don't worry. It says, A source close to the team says St. Brown became frustrated because as much as he wanted to follow McCarthy's play design, he also heard rumors of Rodgers freezing out teammates if they didn't do exactly what he demanded. So he listened to Rodgers. On one play in New England, Rodgers told St. Brown to run a post route when the play called for a flag, a flag route, not a penalty flag. St. Brown ran the post, and the pressure forced Rodgers to throw the ball away towards the flag, leading his position coach to grill him on what he was thinking. So, Aaron Rodgers asks Equinemia St. Brown to run a post instead of a flag, which was the route that was originally called. Aaron Rodgers is put under pressure, and Aaron Rodgers just has to heave it up. And where does the ball fall? Well, where Equinemia St. Brown was supposed to be in the first place. So it's a bad look for St. Brown. His position coach grills him. St. Brown told him he was improvising, so he didn't upset Rodgers. So not only did Equinemia St. Brown do what Rodgers wanted, but then the play transpires and it looks poorly on St. Brown because it didn't work. And then he falls on the sword because he doesn't want to upset Aaron Rodgers. You see how the drama and the decision-making, both from Rodgers and from McCarthy, but also the, the other players on the field, the other 10 players on the field. What a mess this creates, right? And of course, afterwards, McCarthy told him, stick with the routes that are called, and round and round it goes. It's a vicious circle. If you keep Aaron Rodgers happy, you're going to upset your position coach and upset Mike McCarthy. Well, if you keep McCarthy happy, well, now you're going to piss off your quarterback, and that's that's his meal ticket, right? That's St. Brown's meal ticket. The man who's throwing him the ball. That's how he puts up numbers. That's how he gets receptions. And ultimately, as a rookie, that's how he's going to actually settle into this league and become a player. Think of Jeff Janis. Rodgers hated throwing Janis the ball. Where's Jeff Janis? I don't, I, don't, I don't even know. He was in Cleveland. I don't think he's in the league anymore. Maybe if Rodgers had really been on the same page and they were following the same playbook and following what Mike McCarthy wanted to do, maybe that would have turned out different. I don't know. But I get where Equinemia St. Brown is coming from. He doesn't want to piss off his meal ticket, Aaron Rodgers. Doesn't want to make his head coach mad either, but St. Brown saw the writing on the wall. He knew what was going on. McCarthy was out of there at the end of the year. If you got to upset one party, upset your head coach, not the guy throwing you the ball. So I understand that. It's a really interesting situation because, like I said, we know that Aaron Rodgers at times has been a problematic leader. There's lots of, di- I'm not going to say a bad leader, there's lots of different ways to lead. And when you're winning football games, most leadership methods work because everybody's happy, you're enjoying some success, you're having fun. But then when you don't win, some of those leadership strategies start to fall by the wayside. And I'm not going to call Aaron Rodgers a bad leader, but his leadership style has not worked the last couple of years. We know that he can be a little bit passive-aggressive. He can be very quick to blame others. We all knew that, right? 
Here the rubber is hitting the road. Here we have an application. Here we have an example. I started the show by talking about fast food. We all know that fast food is bad for us. But we don't have to watch the cow get slaughtered. We don't have to go back into the kitchen and watch them make whatever food they're making, right? I just get handed to it in a wrapper and I think, man, this is horrible for me, but I'm hungry. I'm going to eat it. We knew that Aaron Rodgers was a bad leader. We knew that Mike McCarthy was possibly getting complacent. We knew all the implications of that drama in the organization. But now we actually have an application. Now we have an example to chew on. And to continue that analogy, now we're standing in the kitchen at Taco Bell and we're saying, oh my God, this is what I'm eating, right? This is what I've been eating the last couple of years. It all starts to clear up. Naturally, there's, uh, there's some difficulty there. Because wide receivers are only as good as the quarterback throwing them the ball. So do you keep your quarterback happy? Do you keep your head coach happy? Your position coach happy? What do you do? It's an endlessly difficult situation. And obviously all of these, these difficulties, these dramatic situations, like the one I just described, all stemming from that poor relationship of quarterback and head coach. That's what it comes down to. Like I said, I don't know if we learned anything new today. I don't know. We knew Aaron Rodgers was a poor leader, but now we have an example. We knew Mike McCarthy was possibly getting complacent at the end, but now we have an example. He was getting massages in his office during pregame meetings. I don't know if we learned anything, but we were, we were supplemented with examples. We actually got some details, right? Now, I want to continue this conversation. And by the way, you can reach me on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line at 608-796-2558. I'm not going to do the obnoxious radio. Who do you blame the most for the Packers' recent struggles? Ted Thompson? Mike McCarthy? I'm not, not going to do that. But we can have a conversation. Now, if you think one person is to blame, hit me with it. If you just want to call in and, and, and complain about Aaron Rodgers and complain about Mike McCarthy, that's what we're doing today. Because we got to start to try to figure this out. Because let's be real, Mike McCarthy's gone, Ted Thompson's gone, but Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere. And the Packers aren't going anywhere, specifically the playoffs, if Aaron Rodgers isn't playing at a high level. And for Aaron Rodgers to play at a high level, he's got to have a good relationship with his head coach, his play caller. He's got to have a good relationship with those around him, like Equinemius St. Brown. And there's no room for, for shenanigans and confusion, like we're written about in this Bleacher Report article, and like we're talking about right now. So let's have a conversation. Let's keep the Packers talk rolling. Uh, we are going to talk Brewers near the end of the show because they are about to embark on a very interesting series against the Chicago Cubs. There are a lot of variables at play right now with the Brewers and the Cubs. So I want to talk about that. But first, we got to wrap up the Packers talk. This is just too juicy uh, to pass up on. So the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports, will return in moments. Don't go anywhere. Uh, you're listening to WKTY. <laughs> This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. As always, the show presented by Play It Again Sports. Bucks are playing tonight. They're back in action against the Sixers. That game starts at 7. Jimmy Butler's not going to not gonna play. Looks like Joel Embiid is a, more of a game-time decision, as is Chris Middleton. So pregame underway at 6.30. Shortly after we're done, we're talking Packers in the meantime. We're talking football because I'm sure some of you saw, and, and I'm sure a lot of you read, uh, the Bleacher Report article that was dropped earlier today by Tyler Dunn regarding, uh, well, just about everybody in the Packers organization that may have contributed to their downfall the last couple of years. One of uh, one of the sources quoted in this article said, and, and this is something that jumped off the page to me, because you don't hear things like this all the time. You, you hear of teams that underperformed, right? That happens all the time. 
Packers have underperformed. Uh, the Giants, I think, a couple of years ago underperformed for all the money they spent on defense. Like, like, There's a team every year where you're like, man, they didn't live up to the talent. It happens a lot. But you never hear players say something like this. Former teammate thinks Rodgers should have won a minimum of six Super Bowl rings under Mike McCarthy and that the 2011 team should be remembered like the 72 Dolphins. That is a crazy statement. Six Super Bowl rings? Six. Under Mike McCarthy. Now, keep in mind that Mike McCarthy was, what, hired in, in, in 2008 or thereabouts? He's here for about 14 years. So by that statement, you're saying that out of 14 years, six of them should have ended in a Super Bowl win? Fans say stuff like that. Crazy Packer fans say stuff like that. Man, I I, I get it. I, I think Aaron Rodgers should have won a second or at least gone to a second. Maybe, maybe competed for a third. But to say six, man, that's a loaded statement. Because that former player who plays alongside Rodgers and played under Mike McCarthy knew exactly how good Rodgers was and how good that offense was when it was Jordy Nelson and James Jones and Randall Cobb and uh, and Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley. Now, part of this article as well was talking about how Ted Thompson just kind of stuck his head in the sand for the final couple of years of his tenure, including letting a lot of those pre-mentioned guys go in Jordy Nelson and in James Jones, although he obviously got old and retired, and, and Greg Jennings let him go maybe a year or two before his prime was done, and Jermichael Finley got hurt, and Randall Cobb was just released to, to 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 go to the Cowboys, or he was allowed. I mean, he was a free agent. It's not like the Packers had to cut him. But a lot of defensive players, especially around 2014, members of the offensive line like Josh Sitton were just cut. They were cap casualties. And what it comes down it comes down to, and what I boiled this whole article down to is McCarthy thought he was the man. He created a brilliant offense, and that success was due to him. And Ted Thompson agreed. He said, as long as we have Mike McCarthy drawing up the plays, creating this offense, and grooming Aaron Rodgers, because he's our quarterback guru, right? Then I don't really need to do that much, and I'll let guys walk, I'll save money, and we'll, we'll play with, with young kids. Mike McCarthy thinks he's the man. Ted Thompson agrees. And then Aaron Rodgers is standing there saying, wait a damn minute. I'm not here to apologize for Aaron Rodgers. I'm not here to defend Aaron Rodgers, so to say. I'm not really upset at Aaron Rodgers after reading this article. If Mike McCarthy was that complacent near the end, and he was that cocky regarding, I created this offense, and it's always going to work, no matter what personnel we have. And then you got Grandpa Ted upstairs falling asleep in meetings. From this report, I'm, I'm I'm not trivializing his old age. I'm not hating on Ted Thompson. That was reported that he was basically falling asleep in meetings. Remember the Vikings? Uh, was that the Christmas Eve game a couple of years ago, or it was a night game where they pan up to the to the GMs? Rick Spielman sitting there, groomed, nice and neat and tidy, glasses on, all shined up, and then Ted Thompson sitting in the box over in his Green Bay Packer quarters, it mouth wide open, eyes almost closed. What the hell is Aaron Rodgers supposed to think when he looks around him and sees that? Yeah, I know Aaron Rodgers isn't a great leader. He does not have an ideal leadership style. Yeah, he's a little passive-aggressive. Yeah, he demands excellence from players around him because he's incredible. I'm not absolving him from all responsibility, all sin, but if I was Aaron Rodgers, I was playing alongside Mike McCarthy and what is reported is true, and you got Grandpa Ted just doing little to nothing upstairs, yeah, you got to take a little bit of that upon yourself. Think of it this way. If LeBron James was being coached under David Blatt, who is one of the bigger NBA flops of the last couple of years, 
He, he, he just he was not an NBA coach. He was not cut out to coach Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's say they didn't fire him. They bring in Ty Lue and David Blatt's their coach all the way through the finals. And everybody and their brother watching the NBA and watching the Cavs knew LeBron James knows more and would be a better coach for this team than David Blatt. Would we criticize LeBron James for sitting back and just allowing his team to lose just to respect David Blatt, just to avoid making him look bad? No, we'd say, LeBron, you're the best player in the world. You need to take over. You need to take control. And you need to go take care of business no matter what the cost. We would be grilling LeBron. If LeBron just sat there and continued to, to run poor set plays and, and continued to follow along with, the, with these poor timed rotations that we've seen. I, obviously, I don't think Luke Walton's a great, a great coach either in terms of how he manages players' minutes and, and how he sets up things. We would be grilling LeBron. Now, I consider Aaron Rodgers to probably be the LeBron James of the NFL right now. I think Tom Brady is the Michael Jordan. I think LeBron James uh, and Aaron Rodgers are very similar. Obviously, in this analogy, Brady and Rodgers, Jordan and LeBron are playing at the same time, but that's neither here nor there. If Aaron Rodgers is surrounded by incompetence, and the more that we read, the more that it comes across as such, and look, they won a Super Bowl together. I'm not completely hiding Mike McCarthy, but as more details come out, it certainly looks like that there was a lot of dysfunction, a lot of complacency, I should hope that Aaron Rodgers feels the need to take over. And yeah, if he's in a bad mood because he feels as though everyone around him, his rookie wide receivers included, are incompetent, yeah, I'd probably be a little bit salty too. If Aaron Rodgers is only a handful of years removed from having James Jones, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Jermichael Finley, and now I got Devontae Adams, who's great, and a bunch of rookies, and an injured Geronimo Allison, and an aging Jimmy Graham who doesn't really fit yet, yeah, I'd be pissed off too. And I'd expect that those rookies show the drive and show the desire to play up to the level of number 12. I don't really blame Aaron Rodgers. We know what he is. Here's the million-dollar question. I'm not going to ask you in a corny radio, sports radio way, who do you think is most to blame for the downfall of the Green Bay Packers? Here's the bigger question. What did we actually learn from this conversation? What did we learn from reading the Bleacher Report article today? We knew that Aaron Rodgers is passive-aggressive, and sometimes his leadership style isn't ideal. We didn't learn anything new about Aaron Rodgers here. We were given some examples. But we were also given examples of how Mike McCarthy got complacent near the end of his career and neglected the defense and was a huge ego monster and thought the offense begins and ends with him. I didn't learn anything new about Aaron Rodgers. I didn't really learn anything new about Mike McCarthy. I was just given examples of what we already knew. I was just giving details about what we already knew. So for those of you who are outraged about Aaron Rodgers today, I would say calm down because he's not going anywhere. Mike McCarthy's gone. I don't know that this article changes anything. This is an entertainment piece, right? This is a peek behind the curtain in what happened the last couple of years. It's not all of a sudden, oh my God, Aaron Rodgers is a, it kills puppies? Oh my God, Aaron Rodgers beat up his teammate by a locker? No, we always, we've always known that he's passive aggressive. We always know that he leads with a, with a little bit of saltiness. It's just, it's just who he is. After today, I might sympathize more with Aaron Rodgers than ever before because we learned more negative uh, details about Mike McCarthy. And of course, Ted Thompson, that situation wasn't ideal at the end of his career either. So no, I'm not apologizing for Aaron Rodgers. I don't I just I don't think this changes anything. I don't think this 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 article teaches us anything new 
it just gives us facts to back up what we all already assumed. Now, the interesting piece, and, and what I can't wait to watch, is where does Matt LaFleur stand in all this? Because LaFleur, look, I don't know how much he knows about uh, the Packers and what's gone on the last couple of years. I don't know if that's a conversation that he's had with Mark Murphy or Brian Gutekunst. But he's got to be reading this thinking, oh my God, how am I going to handle this? And maybe this is good homework. Maybe this is good background information for the first year head coach to have. I don't know where Matt LaFleur fits in all this. But one thing that I know taking away from this article is that Aaron Rodgers better not think he's smarter than you. And he better not think that he's working harder than you. Otherwise, all his respect for you goes right out the door. As it should. If I'm sitting in a class at UWL and my professor's talking out his butt and I know that he's wrong because I read the textbook and I did the homework and I'm sitting in his class and he's wrong and he's got his feet up on the desk and he's wearing wrinkled PJs for class, yeah, I'm going to lose a little bit of respect for that professor. That's how it should work. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how Jermichael Finley at the Super Bowl was commenting that, yeah, if Aaron, if I ran the wrong route, Aaron Rodgers wouldn't throw me the ball. I hope so. Run, your, run the route correctly. You're a receiver. Aaron Rodgers got to put the ball in the right spot. He's got to organize the, the protection. He's got to read the defense. He's got to deliver the ball while sidestepping pass rushers. Yeah, you should also have to hold you up your end of the bargain and run the correct route. I don't, I don't, this is common sense to me. This is common sense. If you had a coworker who never did their work and you always had to shoulder the blame, you always had to pick up the slack, yeah, I'd probably be a little salty towards that coworker as well. Like, let's, let's not let's not fake outrage over Aaron Rodgers because of this. Like I said, I don't think we learned anything new. I just think we got details. We got facts to back up and to confirm what we all already kind of assumed. So let's not get mad about it. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. we got to take a short break. Uh, like I said, Bucks are on the way in now less than an hour. The pregame uh, for Bucks Sixers is going to get started at 6.30. Before we say goodbye, I do want to talk about the Brewers. They're idle today. Uh, we talked about yesterday morning, yesterday afternoon's win. They're about to square off with the Cubs, who are in a precarious situation right now. They're only five games into the season. I want to talk about the Cubs. I want to talk about the Brewers and, and maybe give it a little taste, give a little preview of what's to come. My stance on this upcoming series might be different than yours, and it might be different than what you expect. So we're going to continue. We're going to talk about the Brewers coming up next. We'll put the Packers talk on hold at least until tomorrow. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Again Sports right here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. It's been a tough day for Packers fans. Don't let people get on your case. Because we're educated. We've had a conversation, a nuanced conversation, filled with perspective, filled with thought. When you think about it, that article today really didn't tell us anything new. It just gave us the facts. It gave us the details and the examples to kind of prove what we all already knew. Let's be real. McCarthy's gone. So hopefully that dynamic improves. I can't wait to watch it unfold as, as Matt LaFleur becomes the head coach of the Packers. Something that I'm really excited about uh, is the start of this Brewers season. And of course, we all are. The Brewers are, are playing fantastic baseball. Uh, they have only lost once, and that was because Freddie Peralta maybe had some jitters in his first major league start. He bounced back big time yesterday, uh, going eight innings with 11 strikeouts of shutout baseball. Now, the Brewers are staring down the barrel. To, they're off today, but starting tomorrow, they're staring down the barrel. Of a, of a series with the Cubs, who 
the Cubs are struggling. I'm not here to dance on the Cubs' grave, mostly because they're five games in and they're one and four. They play 162 of these things. I'm not here to, to hate on the Cubs. You can go one and four in a stretch and have it not be a big deal at all. There's naturally some more eyes on a team when they go one and four in the first five games. But I, I look, I think the Cubs are very, very, very talented. I think they're well-managed. I think their front office, despite what people want to say about him, has done a good job the last couple of years. I have faith in the Cubs uh, to have a very, very good season. I'm not here saying the Brewers are about to run away with this division and the Cubs have now uh, came back down to earth where they were five years ago. Here's the thing. The Cubs are struggling, and I did some digging. I did some reading because, you know, I don't watch every Cubs game. Uh, I, can you imagine how much time that would be? Got to watch every Brewers game. Got to watch every Cubs game. Now the Cardinals are good. It would just be too much. I, I was reading. I was watching some highlights and, and catching up on what the last week has been like for Chicago. So they won on opening day, 12-4 to against the Rangers. But since then, uh, have lost to the Rangers, 8-6. to Lost again to the Rangers, 11-10. to Then to the Braves, 8-0. to Then again to the Braves, 6-4. and So that's where they stand at 1-4. to And they play the Braves uh, again tonight, starting here in about a half hour. So they are actually on a 1-2-3-4 game losing streak. That's called a winning streak. Well, it's, it's actually the opposite of a winning streak. But only five games in, there's reason for concern, but no reason for panic. Here's the interesting thing with the Chicago Cubs, is you can lose four games in a row and... and at the end of it, say, ah, it's not a huge deal. You didn't get some breaks. You had a tough schedule. You have some injuries, whatever. But some of the statistics regarding the Cubs should be concerning for Cubs fans, especially given their pitching. Okay, so right now, and, and keep in mind, the Cubs are five games in. So the, these numbers can be ballooned. They can be deflated. There's a lot of different ways to look at these statistics. Right now, the Cubs team ERA, which is earned runs, uh, earned run average. So every nine innings, they are giving up 6.75 runs. Look at it that way. So basically every game, they're averaging giving up uh, six and three quarters runs. That's the second highest in baseball, only behind Arizona. 6.75. Like I said, only five games, small sample size, that can really balloon that number, but nonetheless. Now, this is even more telling. There's a lot of really obs- weird, I don't want to say obsolete, but really weird, difficult to swallow, difficult to interpret stats in baseball. One that's not too terrible uh, is whip which stands for walks, hits, innings pitched, which is essentially base runners, right? So the Cubs' whip right now is the highest in baseball. It's just over two. It's 2.01, which means every inning, the Cubs are averaging, allowing just over two base runners, which is a lot. Whether that's a hit, whether that's a walk, doesn't matter. They are giving up two, just over two base runners per inning, which is the highest in baseball. Here's the interesting thing, and maybe why the Cubs uh, have a reason to relax a little bit is because through five games, this number can be inflated a lot. The percentage of opponents who walk against the Cubs is 43.8%. That's crazy. 43.8% of hitters against the Chicago Cubs so far this year have walked. That's almost half. That's almost every other batter has walked against the Chicago Cubs. Now, the bullpen, we talk about concerns for the bullpen in, in the Brewers. The Cubs have had it even worse. Relievers have walked seven, and this is courtesy of the big lead. I had to do some digging to find this, some actual qualitative stats regarding their bullpen, because we know it's been bad. They've blown a lot of leads of the last couple of weeks, including on Wednesday against the Braves. They were leading 6-4 to four when John Lester, uh, when, or they, excuse me, they were leading 4-2 to two in the sixth inning when John Lester leaves, and by the ninth inning, they lose 6-4. to four. The bullpen hasn't been great. They have watched walked 17 batters in 17.1 innings of work. They have blown leads in 60% of the games that they've played. Now, like I said, small number of games can inflate these numbers, but that's three potential wins they left on the table because their inability to close games in the back end in their bullpen. All that being said, 
how many walks they've given up, how high their team ERA is, how many base runners they surrendered at just over two per inning, which is by far the highest in baseball. All of that considered, I'm still worried about this weekend. Now, when I say worried, I'm not losing sleep over it because we're in the first week of the season. And much like I'm not overly jumping for joy, although I've enjoyed watching the Brewers up until this point and in their one-loss record, I'm not really worried for the Cubs. Now the Cubs fans should be either at one and four. We're in the first week of the season. So I'm not worried. I'm not losing sleep. But I have concern for this weekend series because the Cubs and the Brewers just have a very interesting relationship. They have a fascinating relationship. Because if you remember at the beginning of the year last year, Brewers start hot, Cubs start slow. Brewers trying to build a lead in the division. What happens when the Brewers play the Cubs? Brewers are making mistakes that we didn't see beforehand, right? They're kicking the ball around in the infield. Their bullpen all of a sudden can't buy an out. Then you let the season go by. At the end of the season, Cubs are playing tremendous. They have stormed from behind to take the lead in the division, and the Brewers are all but buried fighting for a wild card, right? We, we all roll Bill Michaels over the coals because he essentially said the Brewers now only shot as a wild card. Didn't turn out to be true, but that's how far the Brewers were back. They play the Cubs at the end of the year. They just have their number. Even when the Cubs are playing great, the Brewers have been able to have them. When the Brewers are playing great, Brewers have been able to have the Cubs. Vice versa. These teams have a really interesting relationship. I think Cubs and the Brewers, when they match up, it, 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 you might as well put the records at 0-0. Zero to zero. Because when the Brewers and Cubs have played, when they have matched up the last couple of years, and part of that has been there's a lot of fans at Miller Park, there's a lot of fans at Wrigley Field from the, the opposing teams or the opposing cities, right? It, it's a little bit of a reset button. All right, we're playing the Brewers. All right, let's lock it in. Let's maybe be a little bit more intense. Oh, we're playing the Cubs. All right, this means something. Because our home ballpark's getting invaded. Cubs fans are loud. Cubs fans want to make a statement. Oh, yeah, and the Cubs, they're trying to little brother us. Remember what Cole Hamill said last year? This isn't even a rivalry. This series, when the Cubs and Brewers play each other, it's a bit of a reset button. Because these series and the results of these series always tend to buck the trend leading up into the series. Brewers are playing great. Cubs are trending downward. I would not be surprised if the Cubs sweep this series and it launches them into a stretch of very, very good baseball. Much like if the Brewers were struggling and the Cubs were playing great, I could see the Brewers sweeping and launching them into an excellent stretch of baseball. I, I just The Cubs are different. The Brewers are different. When these two teams play each other, you might as well disregard the record. You might as well disregard the trend. If one bullpen is playing great, forget about it. If one starting rotation is, is gelling and pitching real well, forget about it. If one offense is hitting with a lot of power and putting runs on the board, forget about it. It's a reset button. When the Brewers and Cubs play each other, it almost seems to ground both of these teams back to the mean. How many pitchers duels have we seen? How many 1-0 games or 0-0 games or 2-1 games have we seen into the 7th, 8th, ninth inning? Tie ball games that go into extra innings. How many walk-offs? How many late-game heroics have we seen between the Cubs and the Brewers? Because they're always so close. They're always so competitive. No matter what happened on Thursday, if the Cubs and Brewers season or series starts on a Friday... You're going to get a good game. You're going to get a good matchup. And that's why I think the Cubs should be licking their chops at this upcoming series. Because it's a great opportunity for them to kind of re-enter the conversation right now in the NL Central. Yeah, they're 1-4. and four. Yeah, they're not playing well. Their bullpen has been bad. They've been walking a lot of hitters. They can't buy outs on the back end of games. I really don't think it matters. I don't think it really matters that the Brewers are playing great. Cubs, Brewers, whether it's at Miller Park or whether it's at Wrigley Field, it has been a reset button the last couple of years. No matter where the teams are trending, what the vibe is, what injuries they have, it just always seems to be a very evenly matched series. And I expect that this weekend. We'll have that game for you tomorrow right here on WKTY. We'll have Bucks Sixers tonight. Jimmy Butler's not going to play uh, with back tightness. Uh, J- or, excuse me, Joel Embiid. 
could be missing tonight as well. So make sure you're tuning in right away at 6.30 when Bucks uh, pregame starts. So they'll get you updated, ready to go. Bucks Sixers starts at 7 o'clock tonight, two Eastern Conference heavyweights. We will be back to talk about that game, continue the conversation about the Packers, and get ready for Brewers-Cubs. Because I'm concerned, as well as the Brewers are playing, I know that this series is the ultimate reset button in the NL Central. So we'll talk about all that and more tomorrow, same time, same place. Talk to you then.